This is the Decoding Obesity Podcast, where we simplify, demystify, and decode obesity, helping you lose weight and feel great. So gear up for a fascinating journey through this ever-evolving field, and let's see what we find. And please remember that the thoughts and opinions on this podcast do not constitute medical advice. Don't forget to visit our website, www.decodingobesity.com, for show notes and more info. And now, here's your host of the Decoding Obesity Podcast, Dr. Avishkar Sabarwal. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another exciting episode of the Decoding Obesity Podcast. I'm pleased to welcome back Dr. Erin Saltzman. Last time, she was here to share her personal weight loss journey with us. This time, she is here to discuss a very important medical condition. Before we dive into the discussion, a little bit about Dr. Saltzman. Dr. Saltzman went to med school at Robert Wood Johnson Medical School. Following this, she completed her internal medicine residency and endocrinology fellowship at Leahy Clinic Medical Center outside of Boston. She has worked as an endocrinologist in private practice outside of Philadelphia. Currently, she's taking time off to study for obesity medicine and eventually plans to practice obesity medicine exclusively. So we will be discussing PCOS today. This is a disease that afflicts so many women, and let's see how it interlinks with obesity. Welcome, Erin. Hi, good to be back. Let's begin this discussion by defining what PCOS is for our listeners. Sure. So PCOS stands for polycystic ovarian syndrome. And actually, a fun fact about PCOS is that you don't actually have to have ovarian cysts to be diagnosed with polycystic ovarian syndrome. Um, it's, it's actually a metabolic syndrome that affects multiple um, systems in the body, including the reproductive system and also the cardiovascular system and the endocrine system as well. Okay. And what are the symptoms that women with PCOS usually experience? So um, PCOS is one of the common things that um, doctors think of when a woman comes to them complaining of irregular periods, um, acne, hair growth where they don't want it, mainly on their you know, lip and chin. Sometimes women will say it's hard to lose weight, although we can, we'll, we'll talk about that. It's, it's kind of like what came first, the chicken or the egg. But um, a lot of people say, oh, I, I never had a problem with weight, but now all of a sudden I have trouble losing weight. So just generally that um, picture of a woman with irregular periods who has gained weight, is having issues with hair growth where they don't want it and and acne and you know infertility if they are trying to conceive and, and can't. That's the that's a pretty good picture of, of PCOS. And what usually causes this? So, you know, I mentioned that women say, well, I'm having trouble losing weight and um, they have all these other things. So I think, you know, if I have PCOS, that's what's making me have trouble losing weight and that's why I'm gaining weight, but it it actually doesn't work that way. So it's actually just the increase in body mass index into the obesity range that kind of triggers this metabolic chain of events, which ultimately causes PCOS um, and it's, we'll call them complications like fertility, diabetes, and um, you know, possible cardiovascular disease. So it, it all actually starts with the weight gain into the obese range. 
I see. So what exactly is the link between PCOS and obesity? Does PCOS cause obesity or do we know for sure that it's the obesity that causes PCOS? Because when I was reading about it, there's a lot of conflicting data out there. Yeah. Yeah. So it really is because, you know, again, especially in, in um, my practice as an endocrinologist and obesity medicine specialist, you can see that when the BMI comes back into the normal range, the PCOS basically goes away and vice versa. People who have had normal periods their whole lives, if they've if they have ended up gaining a lot of weight for various reasons, that's when they when PCOS comes about. So you can you can see both the correlation and also you know the inverse relation between weight gain and having symptoms of PCOS, and then also when the weight goes back down into the normal range, those symptoms do go away. Okay, so it's still it's still not clear what causes what, but they are interlinked. They're linked, but again, um, in the majority of the patients who I've taken care of, who usually come to me with the diagnosis, or I diagnose them with PCOS, their weight is ninety-five percent of the time in the obese or higher range. Right. And when we work on losing weight and get their weight back down into the normal range, those symptoms resolve. So, to me, in my opinion, I think that the the First thing that happens is the weight gain and and increase of the body mass index BMI into the obese range, and then comes the PCOS. So that's my you know again that's my that is my opinion just from you know the fifteen plus years I've been doing this. <laughs> right, right. And uh, what are the other metabolic effects? Uh, you know, you'd mentioned some metabolic effects that occur with PCOS. We know that there are certain metabolic effects that occur because of obesity. Mm-hmm. Um, what's the link between that? And are they different or are they interlinked? Or is it all because of the obesity that you see metabolic effects or even PCOS without a weight gain can cause this? So um, generally, it's all tied up in insulin levels. And that's that's the main connection. So most people who have a normal body mass index or a low body mass index do not have insulin resistance or high levels of insulin that are flowing around in their in their bloodstream. Um, trying to keep blood sugar levels normal. But as the body mass index gets higher and the insulin levels get higher in order to keep blood sugars in a normal range, that's called insulin resistance. And it's not diabetes. However, the insulin levels are abnormally high for, for the degree of normal blood sugar. And it's that insulin resistance or those high levels of insulin that cause both the um, metabolic and cardiovascular um, complications as well as the hormonal and reproductive issues as well. And we can kind of talk about both of those separately if you want. Sure. And I think uh, before we uh, move further, I think uh, it would be nice if we can just you know enumerate some of the, the physical manifestations of insulin resistance itself that people sitting at home can at least see and judge whether they may be suffering from it or not. I don't know if you would want to tr- uh, name a few but, things. Yeah, the the most the most outward sign of insulin resistance that you can see is something called acanthosis. And that it, it looks like, and, and a lot of people don't see it because it happens to be in areas where you wouldn't normally be looking, but it's, it's a darkening of the skin. It almost looks like dirt. Um, in it's like dirt areas. that won't come off. You try it's to like dirt that won't come off. And it's often like in the armpit region on the back of the neck or in the folds of the neck, um, sometimes in the, the groin area, 
but it's it's when I see somebody who has acanthosis or that the darkening of the skin in that area, I don't even have to check insulin levels in their blood. I'm pretty sure that they have insulin resistance. So that's really the only thing physically that you can see that would say, yeah, I, I'm pretty sure this person has insulin resistance um, aside from checking blood tests. Yeah. And I think that's important for our listeners. So listeners, if you find that you have these areas of dark skin that look like dirt and it's not coming off, I think it's time to go and get a checkup uh, from your doctor and see that uh, whether you have insulin resistance or not. And again, insulin resistance does not necessarily mean that you have diabetes, but it right. may just be the beginning of it. Right. And it's reversible. So that's the important thing too. Right. Catch right. early. Right. And uh, we already briefly touched on the importance of uh, insulin and the levels of insulin and its resistance in PCOS. But does obesity have effect on the other reproductive hormones um, in PCOS? Yes. And again, it's directly related to insulin levels. So that's interesting as well. So, you know, normally when we think about insulin and, and having too much or not enough, and we think of diabetes. But um, elevated insulin levels also, for reasons that we don't really understand, affect the balance of hormones that come from a gland in the brain called the pituitary gland. And when there's too much insulin around, that gland and those hormones, get, the signals get messed up, basically. And you're getting this, these abnormal signals coming from the gland, the pituitary gland, to a woman's ovaries. And that's why there is the imbalance of more testosterone compared with the level of estrogen. So it's that it's directly related to the high levels of insulin causing the miscommunication basically from the pituitary gland to the ovaries. So, and, and nobody knows why that is, that's what's very interesting. We don't know why insulin resistance messes up that communication. Right. And you mentioned uh, something about the testosterone. And I think that might leave uh, some of our listeners confused that how would women have testosterone in them? Um, so women make testosterone as well, just lower levels of it than men do. And women make testosterone both from their ovaries, part of the ovaries can produce some testosterone, and also the adrenal glands, which are another set of um, hormone glands that usually deal with um, stress hormones, but they also make some testosterone. <laughs> right. So, but it's not the adrenals that are really affected with PCOS. It's it's the the ovaries that are. Right. So women should not get alarmed when they hear the word testosterone because normally they do have a little bit of testosterone. It's just when the levels are altered, they're higher. That's when you start getting these manifestations, uh, and some of these manifestations like uh, hair growth over your lips, a more masculine kind of a look. They're all manifestations of elevated testosterone levels, right. which are also manifestations of PCOS. Right. So the main the main things you would see um, if there were um, abnormally high levels of testosterone are, like you mentioned, hair growth on the lip or chin. And so in some women, it's pretty significant. I've seen women with with beards, then they've had to shave to to help deal with it. Um, but also acne. That's a big thing that right. people notice is that um, acne has definitely gotten worse. And then again, that, that hormonal imbalance, and um, we can get a little more into that if you want to, but that's also what causes the infertility issues. Right. And how does that happen? Just briefly, because, uh, sure. you know, yeah. well, let's not get into the science of yeah, it. Yeah, I, won't, I won't give an hour lecture on that. <laughs> but basically, um, so there are two different hormones from that, the pituitary gland. And one of the hormones will tell the ovaries to make more testosterone. 
the other hormone tells the ovaries to make estrogen and to produce an egg for ovulation and theoretically pregnancy down the road. So in PCOS, the, the ratio of the hormone that makes more testosterone in the ovary is higher than the amount of the hormone that tells an egg to be produced and estrogen to be produced. So the issue is that an egg doesn't get, it does, a mature egg does not get produced because of that hormone imbalance. And then there's no ovulation because there's no egg. And therefore, if there's no ovulation, then there's infertility. Yeah. So the longer term of it is high testosterone leads to messed up periods and uh, no pregnancy. No pregnancy and hair and acne. (laughs) Right. (laughs) So that's the long and short of it. That's the the abridged version of a medical school lecture. (laughs) Yeah. And and one other one other important thing I'll bring up as well, because it's it's one of the the goals of treatment that we'll talk about later. But um, when you don't when a woman doesn't ovulate, the issue is if they're not having periods, they can actually have an abnormal buildup of the lining of the uterus, which down the road if it's not noticed or if it's not treated, could lead to uterine cancer. So that's another important reason why it is, you know, not just for fertility reasons, but to help prevent uterine cancer down the road as well. And uh, what are the treatment options for women suffering from PCOS? Um, So we we look at it from a, a couple of different angles. So it depends where in a woman's life, you know, is she a teenager? Is she in her reproductive years? Is she somebody who's heading towards menopause? Is there interest in preserving or promoting fertility at the time? You know, what is what is the goal? So I can say, again, I mentioned 95% of people who have polycystic ovarian syndrome are overweight, have an elevated BMI. And so the first course of action is lifestyle changes in order to help with weight loss. So that's the first prong of the treatment. We always, you know, recommend dietary and um, lifestyle changes. And we can talk more about that later. But diets would benefit um, a patient with PCOS. And that in itself, the weight loss addresses the insulin resistance. As body mass index comes down, so do insulin levels and insulin resistance goes away and the the complications related to the insulin resistance that we talked about. The the um, path goes in the other direction. Right. But there are also medications that we can use to help decrease insulin resistance as well that are um, that work independent of weight loss. I mean they can help with weight loss, but they will help with the insulin resistance even while we're working on weight loss. So medication, which is actually a diabetes medication called metformin, um, is something that we use in patients who have type 2 diabetes to treat diabetes and it works by making uh, by decreasing insulin resistance by making insulin work better. So you don't need as high levels of insulin to maintain a normal blood sugar or you know to help lower blood sugars and again that makes the path go in the in the direction that we want lower insulin levels. Um, there are also some newer um, medications for type 2 diabetes that can and you know in the same way help with insulin resistance but can also help with weight loss as well. And we really like to use those in um, women who aren't currently interested in fertility. Um, can't, we can't use those medications. Um, but metformin is something that we use in women who are interested in fertility 
um, because you can be on metformin if you want to get pregnant. You can stay on metformin at least through the first trimester if you if a woman does get pregnant. So that's a, that's a really good option. Yeah, and you don't need a very big weight loss to actually see these effects. Uh, from what I remember reading about it, um, it even if you lose about five percent of your body weight, I think you see a significant uh, improvement in the symptoms of PCOS and the right and because it's it's all related to the insulin resistance so even even that you know moderate amount of weight loss really makes such a big dent in the insulin resistance and that's why it's so treatable and that's why we actually see if we put a, um, a woman on something like metformin or you know some of the medications we've spoken about or you may have spoken about in in other podcasts like um Saxenda or Ozempic or right. something. I don't know if you've spoken about those, but all of that addresses the insulin resistance right away, even before the weight loss. So again, it's all tied into the the insulin levels and insulin resistance. Right. And um, what what is the role of exercise in this? Because exercise itself also sensitizes the muscles to insulin. So does that help people with uh, PCOS? It can. And you know, again, if 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 somebody is um, having trouble with mobility because of weight exercise can be the harder part. And I, you know, I feel that that dietary changes are more important, at least in the beginning than the exercise. I always tell people do the best you can with exercise, you know, just be as active as you can be until you get to a point where it's comfortable and, and, and safe to be exercising, especially if there's, you know, joint problems related to obesity or, or cardiovascular disease, the, the dietary changes can be more helpful at least in the beginning. I think exercise is always important, but I think that the diet part of it is more. The yeah, let's, like, let's talk about the diet. Uh, what yeah. do you recommend about the diet? So, and again, don't let me forget to talk about the other parts of PCOS that we want to treat. Sure. <laughs> we just start to talk about one of them. Um, but in terms of diets um, for polycystic ovarian syndrome, I recommend um, to patients um, a low-carb diet. So that can either be in the form of a low-carbohydrate, low-fat diet, so that's mostly focusing on um, healthy proteins, or um, a ketogenic diet, which is a low-carb but high healthy-fat diet. And both of those um, types of diets can help lower the insulin levels because you're not eating foods with carbohydrates. And if you don't eat foods with carbohydrates, your body doesn't have to release insulin. So that's why those work so well to, to kind of bring the path in the right direction again. Right, right. So let's talk about the other things now that uh, we wanted to talk about and we were kind of just sidelining it yeah, till the so, end. Yeah. So in addition to the weight loss component of the PCOS, um, it, again, it depends where a woman is in her reproductive life. So let's say that she's a teenager and wants nothing to do with fertility right now, what we will usually do is have them go on on a birth control, either a birth control pill, or we will use um, a medication called progesterone every six to 10 weeks to bring on a menstrual period. And it's not a real menstrual period because they're not ovulating if they're on the pill or progesterone. But basically at that point, it's to just help protect that uterine lining so it doesn't get too thick and cause problems down the road, um, like I mentioned. And then, of course, with um, a birth control pill, it's also contraceptive as well. So, um, you know, a teenager who is not interested in fertility, they don't need to worry about their fertility when they are on a birth control pill, Um, especially because treating the other aspect of polycystic ovarian syndrome as there's weight loss and decreased insulin resistance fertility actually goes up. 
So again, if somebody is really not interested in fertility, we, we tell them, you know, we're going to put you on metformin and you're going to lose weight and you're going to become fertile pretty quickly. So, you know, if you don't want to be pregnant, let's figure that out. <laughs> it's, it's happened, you know, it's happened when people don't think it can, they haven't been able to get pregnant. And then all of a sudden we start treating them and they get pregnant. Yeah, I, some, somebody mentioned somewhere, I remember this, um, this tagline or somebody saying this caution, weight loss can cause pregnancy. Yep. I remember somebody saying that. And uh, I tell it's so true. All the time, I'm like, I'm going to put you on this medication metformin and, uh, you know, do you want to get pregnant? And they'll say, no, I'm like, do something about that. Pick a form of contraception or let's put you on the pill or get an IUD or, you know, any of those things, because it, it, it actually, a lot of the times it, it, it restores ovulation and, and then fertility. fertility. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So that's um, another part of it. Let's say if a woman is, you know, interested in fertility, obviously we don't want to put her on a birth control pill because that's defeating the purpose. So in those women, I really try to focus on on decreasing the insulin resistance and and having them lose weight, both for the reason that um, it will increase their fertility, but also when they, you know, do hopefully eventually get pregnant, they're going to have a healthier pregnancy for it. If they get pregnant and they're very overweight and have pre-diabetes and high blood pressure and high cholesterol, that's going to be a much more complicated and unhealthy pregnancy than it would be if they had, you know, if they were um, at a healthier body weight with no diabetes and normal blood pressure and better cholesterol levels. So, you know, that's how I try to approach it with, with patients. Um, you know, of course, um, somebody who has polycystic ovarian syndrome could go to see a reproductive endocrinologist who can help them, you know, ovulate artificially with, with certain medications. Um, and, and it works and, and women do get pregnant that way. Um, but it's, it, it's at the, in my opinion, um, the pregnancy might not be as healthy because right, the, just because of the fact that the patient is suffering from obesity, because that itself yeah. has an inherent risk for um, yeah. that itself is a high risk pregnancy. High risk pregnancy, and you know, also somebody if they happen to be pre diabetic, they're most likely going to get gestational diabetes during that pregnancy. So you know, again, I try to counsel women who are interested in fertility, like you know, let's take six months to get you in a healthier place. And, you know, hopefully you won't even need the reproductive endocrinologist at that point. I, I would rather go in that direction rather than say, okay, well, let's keep things where they are and have you see a reproductive endocrinologist, have a stressful, medically complicated pregnancy, and then deal with the weight loss later. That, you know, that yeah. throws a wrench into things that hopefully could be safer and healthier and, and simpler just by being healthier. So, Aaron, what would be the long-term complications of having PCOS? For example, if it goes untreated. So we did. We talked about the the increased risk of uterine cancer just because the the lining of the uterus continues to be thick without having regular periods um, because there's no ovulation. But other um, complications as well um, are more cardiovascular and metabolic in nature. So insulin resistance can lead to um, fatigue of the cells that make insulin, and eventually they can get so tired that diabetes develops. So um, PCOS and insulin resistance are a risk for developing type 2 diabetes. So that's a concern as well. Um, we know that diabetes is a risk factor for heart disease and, and strokes. And, um, you know, again, the goal is to, you know, try to prevent all of these things. If we can, if we can treat PCOS and insulin resistance, we can hopefully prevent diabetes and then 
complications related to diabetes, like heart and kidney and eye problems. Right, right, right. And any other any other lifestyle changes that people can do, you know, sitting at home, um, so that they can at least get a head start on this. Yeah, I, I I would say diet and as much activity as possible are the the most important things that you can start at home even before seeing a specialist for it. So, and if a patient comes to you who is suffering from a morbid obesity and patient is a candidate for bariatric surgery. What do you do in these cases? And do you think bariatric surgery helps with PCOS as well or not? Absolutely. And so that's something that I talk to um, patients who come to me and are diagnosed with PCOS and who, who are in that morbidly obese category. You know, I'll talk to them and I'll say the bariatric surgery and the, the positive metabolic changes that can occur because of the sustainable weight loss usually cure PCOS. I mean, I, I, for the most part, have patients of mine who have had PCOS, it goes away. <laughs> and that's why another reason why I, I think that, you know, in terms of what comes first, the chicken or the egg, the obesity comes first, and then the PCOS comes. Because when you get rid of the obesity and yeah. go have the body go into a normal BMI, the, the PCOS, it, it melts away. It's pretty amazing. Wow. Yeah. So I think uh, people who think they're suffering from this, especially women, if you're having irregular periods, you have hair growth in the wrong places and hair loss from the wrong places. Please yeah, seek help early. Dark, dark skin changes. Dark skin changes. Please seek help early. Uh, and uh, like Dr. Saltzman mentioned, even if they don't see cysts in your ovary, that does not mean you do not have PCOS. Right. Do talk to your OBGYN or your endocrinologist about this. Because there are medications and there are treatments that can really help you. Erin, um, before we end this session, do you have any final thoughts? Yeah, I just I want to say that um, in a way, getting a diagnosis of PCOS um, I think can make somebody healthier in the long term. If, if you can recognize that the, the PCOS is a symptom of obesity and insulin resistance, and we know that there are complications related to that. If we, if you can reverse it before you get those complications like diabetes and heart disease and major fertility issues, then you know you can be a healthier person for it altogether. It's it's sort of win win. You can get your weight into a healthy into a healthy range. You can restore fertility. You can prevent diabetes and um, fix your acne. <laughs> <laughs> No, it does. It, 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 all of it helps. I think uh, that's all we have time for today. Thank you so much, Erin, for joining us and uh, enlightening us on this. Yeah. Um, thank you, everyone, for listening in. I'll see you all next time. And listeners, if you like today's episode, please drop us a review or a comment. Tell us what you loved and what more you want to hear from us. Please hit that subscribe button on the podcast platform of your choice to get informed as soon as new episodes are released. All right. Take care. You've been listening to the Decoding Obesity Podcast. Please remember, the information in this podcast should not be used in any legal capacity whatsoever. The thoughts and opinions expressed on this podcast are solely of the host and his guests and do not constitute medical advice. Views and opinions on this show do not necessarily represent the views and opinions of any organization. And that brings us to the end of the show. Thank you so much for listening in. Don't forget to visit our website, www.decodingobesity.com for show notes and more info. 
And if you've enjoyed this episode, please feel free to rate, review, and subscribe on your preferred podcast listening platform. We really appreciate that effort. Until next time.